0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittum, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. So excited for today's episode. we got Kate Barrett in the house. Before we get into that, let's talk about the Eugene Marathon. I am so excited for this, baby. We are... 13 weeks away. That's right. May 1st, Eugene Marathon, Half Marathon. This is going to be a fantastic event. I cannot wait to finish at Hayward Field. What a historic place to finish. Obviously, Hayward Field is brand new, but, you know, the legacy remains, and I cannot wait to be a part of it. Huge marathon training the last couple weeks for me. I'm really so excited for this. Did back-to-back 50-mile weeks, and it was 50, and then it was 53 last week, and then this week... Hoping to get to 60. First time ever. Never done a 60 mile week before. I'm just so pumped to try to do what I can do and do my best at Eugene Marathon. And why not? I mean, not only is it a historic race in track town USA, but this is a place where 29% of runners BQ. That is an insane number. As you've heard me say on previous episodes, not only is that a remarkable stat, but when you consider that Boston is held two weeks before Eugene, then you know that Basically, every year they get a whole new crop of people and those people also qualify, which is and this really is remarkable because you know you think about it as like a stepping stone. you go to Eugene, you rock it next year you go to Boston, which means you're not running Eugene again. So a whole new crop of people, people like myself, who go there with big dreams and are excited to do amazing things. Come join me. Go to eugenemarathon.com. Register today. We're going to be doing a ton of live shows that week. Now, that's not the reason to sign up for a marathon, but I can tell you this, it's going to be a fantastic weekend, and you're going to really, really enjoy yourself. I have no doubts. That's why I'm going to be part of it. I'm flying across the country to be there. um, To put it in perspective, on that same day, there's the Providence Marathon, which is going to be held a couple miles from my house. I'm not running that. I'm running Eugene, and I cannot wait to do it. So go head over to eugenemarathon.com today and register for whichever race fits your needs. I'm going to be running the marathon, but I'd hopefully I can see you out there as well. So let's get into it with Kate Barrett. Kate uh, has a running pedigree that we you don't normally see. On, uh, on, this, uh, on this podcast, right? We focus more on amateur runners. Kate was an all-Big 12 runner at Baylor University, uh, which is, you know, shoot, that is really, really incredible stuff. And kudos to her for sure. Um, we talk a little bit about her college experience, but mostly her post-college experience. Because it's one that these kind of stories often aren't told, right? Here on, on this podcast, we often talk about, you know, the dedicated amateur runner. For sure. And oftentimes in other podcasts that, that focus more on on pro and elite runners, you hear about the people who've kind of been at that elite level for a long time now and, um, and, and do those sorts of things and are in like the, the elite clubs, you know, and you know, the ones I'm talking about like the Nazlee Elite, the Bowerman Track Club, places like that. And there's this middle ground of elite runners that aren't pros and we kind of dive into that. We talk about her experience with that. We talk about uh, the hurdles that she has overcome first uh, from an injury perspective, and then just coming back um, from giving birth. And it was one of those topics that on this on this ep- on this episode on this podcast, and certainly in, in social media and places like that, we we celebrate people who've been able to uh, bounce back from giving birth and achieving remarkable things, as we should. That is that's fantastic. And we root for all of those people. We root for everybody. But part of rooting for everybody is recognizing that everyone's situation is the same. So we talk about that with Kate, who hasn't had the kind of bounce back from giving birth that she had hoped that she would have. And we talk about that, that that is a perfectly normal thing as well. And even though we haven't done a great job here on this podcast exploring that topic. I couldn't think of a better person to talk about it with than Kate Barrett. And as you'll see, she is just phenomenal. She is unbelievably intelligent and someone who can describe a lot of things uh, with so much precision. And it was uh, it was really an honor to have her on the show. She's such an easy person to root for. There's no question about that. And obviously, she is you know super talented and does, has done amazing things. But you know, it, it, uh, it's exciting to see um, all parts of, uh, of a runner's life. And this is why she is just a phenomenal, phenomenal guest here on the Rambling Runner podcast. So without further ado, let's get into it with Kate Barrett. All right, Kate Barrett, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I, you are. You're awesome. So we were, <laughs> truth be told, we were supposed to record this yesterday. And I completely blew it off. I pre- We moved the date. I had, in my, I had it in my calendar. Then I put it in the wrong date. I actually, oddly enough, and I can't don't even know why this happened. Or no, I know why it happened. I don't know why I did it. I put it in as like Monday night at like 8 o'clock. Mm. And you sent me that text message. You're like, hey, are we on? I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I like just walked in from a run. I'm like, what was I doing?
1: Well, I had, yeah, you left out the part where I got the time wrong the first time we tried to do it, um, because I thought 9 p.m. Eastern meant, uh, or 8 p.m. Eastern meant 9 p.m. Central, (laughs) which is the opposite. Um, Like, I don't do that. like, time zones have changed or something. Like, I don't do this every day, right? So that was our first misstep.
0: Well, truth be told, I like was I didn't even care because I saw what you were up to at the time. So I was like, oh, what do you know, because like we were sending these messages over at Instagram. Sometimes like, I looked at your Instagram stories. I was like, oh, she's out to dinner and having a having a drink. Like this is so much cooler than going on my podcast. I'm not even gonna <laughs> rag her about it. This is like so much of a better choice.
1: It was. It was good. It was a basket of fries on that. Oh, Instagram it looked. Story and it looked too. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and I just you know, there's so many, so many things to talk about. You're a very interesting person. You've had an, a really interesting running career in life, and um, I've you know, followed you and some of the other shows that you've been on as part of. Like you've had, you've had a really interesting show three years ago after you OTQ'd with um, with with is it Chris McClung who from Road yeah. Running. Mm-hmm. It was you and then another member of the, of the Rogue Running crew, Jesse. I know it was as the Jesseist, because I think it was mm-hmm. like the, the coolest Instagram name. Um, and you guys had a really interesting podcast. So I couldn't wait to get on here. Some of the things that a lot of my listeners like hearing about are people who like overcome hurdles. And oftentimes, when we think about athletes that do that, we think of people who are kind of like mid-packers, maybe back-of-the-packers, right? Uh, people who are you know, similar to like to me in terms of like their pacing and things like that. Whereas someone like yourself, who's you know an all-Big 12 runner in college at Baylor and then begun OTQ after college in the marathon, people don't necessarily gravitate to those sorts of athletes for those kinds of stories. However... Kate Barrett, you've had to overcome so many different things across you know, your your running journey, and I'd love to touch on some of those today. I guess the first thing is, when you graduated Baylor, someone who specialized in the 1500 and the 5000, what were some of the choices or, I guess, like the, the options that you had that presented themselves in terms of continuing running post-college?
1: Yeah, great. I'm glad you asked that question, because I feel like that gets lost in the... It was kind of a while ago for me now. It was like 2014. So yeah, um, I, my goal was to join a post-collegiate training group. I had a teammate who had gone up to um, a team in Flagstaff and that was like my dream. She was like, I think Shalane was up there at the time. Like all they did was like run and like cook. And it was, I was like, yes, this is what I want. But I got hurt that year. Um, It was my fifth year of, uh, fourth year of eligibility, fifth year of school. So I didn't get to compete and I was out, ended up being out for like six months. And so I thought that kind of closed the doors on that plan, at least um, I think now if I would have had the determination to just make it work against all odds, I could have just, you know, driven up to Flagstaff and found a job somewhere, tried to rent a cheap place and see what I could do. But I was like, no, in no way ballsy enough to make that happen. So I went home uh, to Austin and there was a team, a post-collegiate team right in Austin with the Rogue Athletic Club. They were sponsored by Adidas at the time. And they were kind enough to take me on as kind of like a walk-on status. So some athletes actually did get a monthly stipend, which was a decent support system for sometimes, I mean, for pros, for sure. Um, And I wasn't getting paid, but I did have gear and had access to their uh, physical therapist and some of their other benefits. So I did that um, as soon as I was done with school for I think I did that for three seasons. So 2014, 2015 and 2016. And that was a track oriented group. So that was people training for the Olympic trials or the U.S. championships in like the steeplechase, the 5K and the 1500. So right up my alley, but um, it was pretty challenging. Honestly, I don't, I didn't run as fast as I did in college. And that was really um, upsetting to me. And I didn't really know why things weren't working. I honestly still don't have an answer for why things weren't clicking, but it was eye opening to see that it wasn't just, I think before that I always thought running was like, yeah, you get out what you put in, but for my performance, and then definitely for my teammates performances, like they were all working incredibly hard. Some people it clicked and some people it didn't click and I didn't really have, I think, I think maybe I was like, well, I guess there's a little bit more luck involved in the sport than I had realized.
0: So let's, let's, let's go back to when you were finishing up college, obviously you mentioned you had the injury, which. Definitely throws a wrench into it, but at the same time, a lot of athletes get injured, especially in running. So it's not like you know completely abnormal, but especially at the timing of it can can certainly cause problems here. And as you were going through that process, is this something that a lot of athletes? Um, and maybe you didn't know at the time. Maybe you'd have a better better perspective on this now because you've been able to talk to people, but. What is the the process for like, all right, an athlete going through this in terms of like, do they do the outreach? Do people reach out to you? Are there agents in the mix? Like, what's just the, the communication model for this sort of um, situation?
1: Well, I think it depends how fast you are. Um, the and you were, and
0: you were all Big Twelve, like you were. Yeah, you were no slouch in college, and you were at in an elite program.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really proud of what I accomplished in college. <laughs> I have not beaten. I've not beaten those personal records, so I think they were pretty good. Um, but it wasn't like I was able to make it to nationals in cross country. I never finished high up there. I wasn't all American. And then I was able to make it to like first round of nationals for track, which was like a regional kind of competition. I didn't make it to final to nationals. And so, to me, that's like good, pretty good. But yeah, you're not gonna have agents knocking down your, you know, knocking on your door asking you where you want to run next. Um, so a post-collegiate training group was probably as, you know, as high as I could have aimed. And so, um, that process was just reaching out to the groups and it was, it is difficult. There was, I think like a list on USATF at some point of the clubs who were registered, but they were different types of clubs. So like rogue athletic club was pretty structured as far as things go. Like we had scheduled practices on scheduled days of the week, you know, we would show up and like try to mostly do some of the same workouts together. I think a lot of groups were probably a little bit less formal, um, more individualized. And I really wanted that like team environment. So that's why I went for that. The group in Flagstaff at the time, I think, was coached by Ben Rosario. I don't think it was necessarily the same group. I ended up like I did talk to him. Um, I had visited Flagstaff that winter of my last year in school. And I did like ask him about joining. And, you know, I don't think he said like, no, you're too slow. But I think he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, like hopefully you can get uninjured get healthy again get get uninjured that's that's quite a term (laughs) i don't i don't even remember he was super nice like we we went to coffee he gave me time you know like we had a good chat but i don't remember where it ended up and i'm sure this is what i'm saying i wasn't ballsy enough to pursue it um i think that that might have been an option if i would have you know tried to make it work but i didn't want to move somewhere where i didn't know anybody like i was I didn't really have a specific plan. Like I wouldn't have even been able to think of like a job that I could have. Like, I just was like, I just wanted somebody else to like, tell me what to do. I think, (laughs) um, and I did have the opportunity to go, I'm not sure if they still do this, but, um, the, I think it was the USA, R USA, RRC, maybe roadrunners club of America. I think that's what it was. Um, They hosted. Yes. Thank you. Yes. They hosted a run pro camp that i was able to go to and that was an application process to get into it but they let me in with my like personal records um which i had run 1613 for the 5k and um 424 for the 1500 and so they had a camp and they had like coaches come and talk to you and that's like kind of how i learned about some of the the programs too um and it was they were trying to like prepare athletes to run pro Um, they had like a session on i remember they had a session on like taxes. um So that was helpful to kind of like see what the options were. But my conclusion was like, there's not a lot of options. And I'm not sure if that's gotten a lot better. Um, I would say the process of like going pro is still pretty murky. I'm not sure how easy athletes are finding it today. But what I will say that I have learned um, at that time when I was coming out of school, I thought there needed to be a plan and I wanted there to be steps for me to follow. And if I did them, things would work out. And what I learned through those next three years and then through following some other runners is that even if you follow that plan, it might not work out um, or that you don't necessarily need that plan. You can do it without, like you do have to cobble together support. Like a coach is really important for almost everybody. I would say Um, teammates optional, like very helpful, but some people don't have teammates. Um, I've really seen a lot of people be successful in a lot of ways, like, You don't have to train for track. You can train for marathons. Like I think I finally understood when I was like 26 that like, okay, you can kind of just do it however you want to do it. And that's a great thing about being an adult versus being an NCAA athlete where you're locked into three seasons of competition every single year um, without a break. So it's it's nice. You don't have to be accountable to anybody as an adult. Um, I was not ready for that responsibility when I came out of college. I wanted my coach to continue to act like my dad and tell me everything to do. And that, I think that's one reason I wasn't successful immediately out of school because our coach was like, I'm not, I just don't know to this day if he was like annoyed by my neediness or if he like wanted to like teach me to be independent or if he just didn't notice or what, but it wasn't a good fit. Like I was always like, what is he thinking? Ah, I sent him a training blog and he didn't reply. I need feedback. I need more. I need more. <laughs>
0: I will let me put it this way. I am 41 years old, and there are plenty of times where I'll have that over the last 20 years i've had, I've felt those same exact things. <laughs> so yeah, usually yeah, and usually it's when it's, it's never like the medium, the average runs. it's like when in a run just when a run is on the extreme. Positive or negative, right? You're like, I crushed it. I want to know how awesome I am. Please tell mm-hmm. me how awesome I am. Mm-hmm. Or it's like the mm-hmm. other end, especially if you're like, walk me off the ledge, please. This was this was awful.
1: This is why I post things on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Exactly. Well you brought up something, you brought up something interesting before. You're like, all right, like you basically we basically combined like the idea of a pro runner and an elite runner as you were talking about like post-college and obviously as we know now And um, that, but the royal will be here that those are two very different things, right? There are mm-hmm. plenty of elite runners. There are very few professional runners if we're going to talk about people who derive their income solely through running. If we're going to say like that's what a pro runner is to the point where like there's plenty of people who are even in the Olympics who are on the cusp of the Olympics who like the, maybe the, the the bulk of their, especially if they're a first time Olympian, who are the bulk of their income may not come from this sport.
1: Yeah, I mean that definition has always been uh, up for debate, and uh, I think I finally just got to the point where I was like, I don't care what what people want to call themselves. Like, I am not part of a club that other people can't be in. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'm a pro. I don't know if I was ever a pro. I'm definitely not now. Um, I mean, I guess if you use the definition of income, then no, never. Uh, but there's some really good runners who don't make money who are at that what I would consider to be that level. So I kind of just had to do away with the labels in my mind.
0: I love that. And then coming from a really competitive college program and coming from having a really competitive college career, what was it like post-college when all of a sudden some of that like team structure was stripped away? You also have the idea of like, all oh, right we don't have all these scheduled meets. We're going together as this group or it's, it becomes, even if you're in a like you were in a kind of a more systematic and regimented team setting. It's still not a college setting. So what was it like for you just making that transition? If you can even silo it from the the race results.
1: Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I did enjoy, there was, you know, there's, there was less pressure um, not having to go do races that like I didn't want to go do like in college. Sometimes we'd have to go out to Arkansas or something and like, seven or eight hour bus ride on a weekend and have to like come back late on Sunday and go to school the next morning. Like it was nice not to do that. Um, But, um, and then, I mean, the team stuff was like, I would say comparable, like, you know, people that were, it was nice being around motivated people. Um, We were treated a little bit more like adults, which was nice um, in some ways, but um, yeah, I mean, I missed the college, like being able to travel to the meet. And just having the um, opportunities to compete too. Like there was a lot more college meets versus like meets where adults, sometimes you can get into a college meet. Sometimes you can't. Um, I found that difficult even through my like marathon career. It was like, I would be running like a big hometown race, but there would be like one woman, like five minutes in front of me and a woman two minutes behind me. And I would just like not be racing people most of the time versus in college, there was almost always like bodies, just bodies all around. And I race really well, but I get to race people head to head. So that was kind of annoying. Like, it's not like I'm the fastest person in Austin. I mean, definitely not now, but when I was competitive, but just like we were also spread out because even within the elite ranks, there's a variation of ability.
0: And what was it like from a motivation standpoint? I mean, we've heard so many people come out of college and, and this isn't a motivation issue. So I shouldn't I shouldn't combine these two things, but we've some people come out of like high-end college running who that's it, right? The the, the the last time they take off the singlet, like they're done. Like adios competitive running. They might just run here or there, but mostly just from a fitness perspective and nothing really all that serious. And you see this time and time again to the point where you watch the Olympic trials. How often do you see like the no-name college, play, no-name college athlete, not that the athlete's no-name, but like they're coming from a, a college that may not be recognizable is just as competitive oftentimes as, you know, again, the Baylors, the Michigans, the Kansas of the world. And this is the point now, we don't even notice it when we're watching these. Whereas like if you were watching another sport, you'd be like, you'd be shocked if that was the case. Uh, So what was it like for you entering this world uh, from a motivation slash burnout perspective and feeling the desire to continue doing this when you could look around and see so many of your peers may have made a different choice?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think every run, well, not every runner, a lot of runners tend to have a good performance and then want more. And that can be motivating. And so to me, the story at the time of my college career, now I look back and I'm like, oh my God, like I did so well. Like my coach really helped me get the most out of myself. But at the time it felt like, oh, this unrealized potential.
0: When and, am I going to hit the 15s in the 5k? Exactly.
1: <laughs> and at the time, I mean, there were women running, um, 1550 who made it to usa so i wasn't that far off i just like i only ran that one time it was a really nice race at stanford just beautiful weather it just like felt great uh, usually i would run like 16 30 but yeah at the time it felt like there why wouldn't there be another breakthrough just around the corner and everything you know i had been progressing to that point point. and so um i think i just I don't know, just wanted to keep trying. I, I wasn't done. I knew that I had a talent. I wasn't burned out. That was a good thing about my college time. I, I wasn't burned out, especially having basically sat out that whole last year. I was like, okay, we got to, got to make something else of like this. I, I never, I never thought about stopping. It was not appealing. I mean, it's still, I've, I'm at more of a crossroads now um, being a year postpartum and really not having to be able to cobble together any type of training, but I mean, there's still a little, there's still a little bug in my head, you know, that that hasn't gone away.
0: Oh, and I want to talk about that for sure. So we'll dive into that in a second. And I guess one thing I want to talk about in that era, and even now, because so many people, no no matter the fitness level, race selection, or just even the things that they want to focus on is often a question, right? So, so many amateur runners, you know, there's a gravity towards the marathon. Some people that I interview on this show, they're either coming off a marathon, they're preparing for one, or they're going to do one in the future. And they know that, right? And, you know, especially in a situation where you're in, where you're not part of like this really well-defined track group, right? So coming out of college, what was it like for you trying to determine which races or distances that you were going to specialize and work towards with everything that we've already talked about and all the considerations that were, that were um, kind of present at that moment?
1: Yes, that was difficult because my teammates were training for the USA Championships, and I wasn't at that level. So from there, it's like, okay, like where do you set the bar? Like, what's going to be your A race? And I couldn't really ever figure one out. I think eventually I settled on, by 2016, my third season, I was able to be like, okay, I want to try to run Stanford Invite, which was where a lot of college and elite and pro runners will go. It's pretty early season for track season. Is that the relatively. Peyton Jordan no, it's earlier than Peyton Jordan. Okay. It's like a few weeks before, but they're both at Stanford. So I, you try to get into that race, and I couldn't even. I think they had like a three k time you had to hit, like for an entry, and I, I think you had to run like nine thirty or better, and I ran like nine thirty, and it was just like. So I got into this race at San Francisco State that was the same weekend, which was set up like in order for like coaches. I think you had to split their squads, like if not everybody was fast enough to go to Stanford, you could go run at SF State. And so it turned out, you know, it was decent weather, not quite under the lights in the afternoon. But like I went out there, you know, my husband and I like spent a bunch of money to go take a trip to Stanford. I think my heel was hurting by this point. Like it was like just running on fumes. This is my third season with Rogue Athletic Club. And I ran, and ran a 1705, 5K.
0: So you were running on fumes. It's like this early season race too. That must have been like so demoralizing.
1: Yes yes it was and to have you know the people I had been training with it was really interesting that season so I trained with um several teammates but one of them was Lenny Waite and she ran ended up running in the Olympics that summer for Great Britain in the steeplechase and she and I would do workouts together and um I could keep up with her if I did like three out of every four repeats that she did or if I did like 1200 and she did like a mile or sometimes she would run over hurdles and I would they would put them on the track and I would like just like run around the hurdle like in lane one I would just like scoot through so it's really interesting because at the time the I mean obviously the performance the gulf in our performance was huge like she was way faster than me but like I realized then to an outsider if they had seen us working outside by side they'd be like oh yeah Lenny's a little bit faster but the differences in elite performance are so small but they are huge in terms of the actual result but like kind of the you know you wonder like how do these people run so fast like they do the same thing that every other other runner does. They're just a little bit better at it. And obviously, consistency over the long term, which Lenny had been exceptionally consistent. You know, she was running eighty mile weeks. So I was running like fifty. You know, those things do add up. Uh, they play a factor. But it, there's not like a secret sauce to it. Um, I, I don't think I I don't think I had you know I didn't have the ta- quite the level of talent. I didn't have quite the consistency. Um, I don't know. Things just really didn't like add up for me.
0: Well, let's let's talk about the mileage, right? You talked about you comparing your mileage to hers, and obviously, you know, we we don't have to make this a, a, to- a full deep dive into the comparison between you and her in terms of like how much, how much, like how many years was she doing that versus how many years were you trying to do it, and so on and so forth. But you know, you have spoken before and, and written about before just how injuries have been this bugaboo that have kind of set you back at certain times. So let's talk about like that as as you're in your mid twenties and you're going through this progression and just finding the kind of mileage that worked for you and what mileage didn't work for you. And just that learning process, because that's something that I feel like affects a lot of people, even people with coaches that it can be, it can be a tricky thing to master.
1: Yes. And as um, I coached for a few years and as a coach, I finally understood the challenge of helping athletes, Stay um away from injuries because they would ask me questions you know they'd be like oh my shin hurts like should i do my long run on saturday and i would be like i mean i don't know like i don't know how shin feels like you got to figure it out kind of and that was something i really did uh finally do some growing up in um that area uh from yeah 24 25 26 years old i was training with this team that's the downside of having a team i was always feeling like i needed to catch up i always needed to be even with at least you know with the 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 team and I couldn't take um, a practice easier if I was feeling injured because well, I was gonna get behind. And so that's something that I did not get very good at until that team basically, like after the Olympic year, closed its doors, everybody like moved away or got jobs and like quit or went to go run somewhere else. Uh there was like me and one other guy left in Austin, and we were like, well, guess that's uh guess that's the end of that. So Finally, um, that year, I took some time off and I had started trying to come back to training on my own and I was you know, getting, getting injured again, getting injured again. And I was like, what is going on? So I finally was just like, okay, it doesn't matter what I think training is supposed to look like. It doesn't matter what I, other people are doing. Like, It doesn't matter what I used to be able to do. I got to focus right now, week by week. If something hurts, I cannot let it start hurting more. I need to take that as a sign and back off. That is not something I ever learned until I was 26. I would just be like, oh man, like shit, this hurts, but guess we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Hope it feels better. Uh, when I was in college, I think I could get away with a lot more stuff being just a younger athlete. I do feel the recovery difference in my 20, when I was 20 versus 25 versus 30. It It's just a little bit easier. Um, the younger For me, it was, the, it was easier the younger I was. So, I did not finally start listening to my body until early 2017 when I decided to train for a marathon. And I just was like, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do this a new way. I'm going to have to listen to my body. And that was that was when it when it started as the second part of my running life began.
0: There you go. So when you think back to it now, five years later, at that time, was it like a lack of knowledge? Was it hubris? Was it like, hey, this is and ignoring these things has worked in the past, and I'll just have selective memory about the times that it did work? And like, if you could diagnose it, you know, looking back, uh, what were some of the factors that led to a, you know, I guess a, a lack of, you know, you know, being kind to your body in order to kind of take steps forward in the long term?
1: Well, I can tell you while I was running at Baylor, uh, we had access to a really great athletic training staff. And so that was the first line of defense for any injuries. So they were really encouraging when we would be like, hey, this hurts, you know, they would be like, try to foam roll or, you know, help diagnose what was going on. Um, The downside of that is there was a really big emphasis on staying out and like never skipping a race, like almost never skipping a practice. And almost to the point where now I'm like, I don't think that they taught me how to listen to my body. I think if I would have maybe really, obviously nobody can make you run. I think if I really would have dug my heels in when I was facing injuries in college, they wouldn't have been as bad. They wouldn't have lasted as long. But I was just like, oh, I gotta gotta please my coach. And so that was the first, that was the first like, don't listen to your body. It was a little bit gaslighty. And I think that's just the flaw of the NCAA system of just having a bunch of meat trying to score points. Coaches are under pressure trying to keep their athletes, you know, competitive. They're trying to like literally the coaches, you know, it's very important for them to like place high at big 12s. I think that caused like a culture of pressure of trying to run through stuff. And I don't think that's good. So that hurt me, um, literally and, (laughs) uh, mentally. And then that time at rogue athletic club, the, you know, my coach definitely would not have tried to push me through anything you know, but it was that situation where he's like, well, I don't know, you know, you need to tell me how you feel. And so I really didn't ever, I didn't give myself, I wasn't used to listening to my body. I didn't give myself the confidence to, re- I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust it. I didn't really know the things to do to the things that worked really well for me. So that was something I remember running with some women who were a few years older than me at the time and just being like, oh my gosh, it's so much harder than when I was 20, like 24. Um, how do you do it? Because they were. 28 or 29 and they were like well you know they said after a while you learn what works for you and you figure it out and that's mostly been true until i had a baby <laughs> and that's why this year has been so challenging
0: we'll definitely talk about that as well so you you're kind of never in that middle ground you were like kind of like in a situation where like you were kind of told what to do in matter of speaking and then you were kind of thrown in the deep end After that, I mean, you kind of thrown, you kind of like chose to dive into the deep end and then you had to kind of figure it out as you were in there.
1: Yeah, I didn't have the, I didn't have the wisdom or the experience to be like, oh, like maybe I shouldn't do this. We did have a good, I will say we had a a really good physical therapist that we worked with. um, Actually, Lenny Waite's sister, Katie Gwynn. She, um, she's a great therapist and she's still as a practice in Austin um, has helped a lot of runners. She did, that was like starting to teach me some stuff (laughs) about like, don't run if it hurts. Um, I just didn't, I probably just didn't like listen to their advice all the time, or maybe I wasn't, I don't think I was very good. I had this assumption that the PTs could kind of like read my mind. Um, or if I did tell them something and it like didn't work, or they told me to do something and it didn't work instead of me being like, okay, Hey, this didn't work. Here's some feedback. Let's try something new. I would just be like, why did this happen? I did exactly what they told me to. Um, so I just didn't totally understand that. Like you have to advocate for yourself. Until like the end of that period um, when I was trying to like build back again after another
0: injury. So when you started marathon training after this period of time, what were some of the things that you tried to do besides the stuff with the injuries like you mentioned? Like if something pops up, this is how we're going to address it. But just from a, a calendar construction um, perspective, you know, miles per week and when to do workouts and maybe when to step away from the workouts, but still keep up the mileage or just, you know, having those periods of time where you take a step back in order to kind of take a step forward long-term. Um, so what were some of the things that you did starting 2017 to ensure that you would have the kind of marathoning experience that you wanted to have?
1: Yes. So that was off. I feel like I just stumbled on it by by luck. And I mean, thank goodness, (laughs) because that launched into probably like my almost, I want to say the most fun that I've ever had with running was like those next three, four years. Um, The first thing I did was I was like New Year's resolution style. I had spent the last four or five years um, after college wondering why I couldn't follow up and repeat what I had done in college. I was just like, you know, I love running enough. It needs to be a clean slate. I need to just like pretend almost that I didn't have that background. And that was really difficult to do. That was my first resolution. Um, The second thing I did was I was like, I need to do whatever it takes to stay healthy. And like, I am not only going to like in the past, I had like kind of like crappy health insurance. Like I was always like worried about spending money on it. Um, In college, you know, I had never gotten to choose my medical providers because it was just the athletic training staff or maybe if they referred out, like I was just like, okay, I'm going to take a little bit more responsibility for this. Um, and I realized there's like a bunch of sports doctors in Austin. There's like different PTs, there's different chiropractors, like you have options.
0: It's a major so I, city I with some, a lot of athletes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I took ownership in staying healthy for the first time versus blaming somebody else for like making my training too hard or something. Um, and then the third really big thing that happened, I just like I don't remember what made me do this. I guess I had been wanting to try to go to this gym. Um, I had been trying to lift on my own, just looking up different programs, or we had like a coach at um, Rogue Athletic Club for the past couple of years. I finally was like, I'm going to try to go to this new gym called Athletic Outcomes. And it's fitness classes versus like a gym where you just would do your own thing. Um, but they are they have like weights classes. And it's really unusual. I've really, I've almost never heard of any other gyms that, that like this. It's functional fitness, but it's not a CrossFit where they're like egging you on to go faster. It's like really slow, really good technique. So I started going to this gym twice a week and I got hooked. They had such good instruction. It was like better than I had ever. Like I actually learned how to like do lifting. Like I had lifts in college and I had coaches, but didn't have that much personal attention. So that was a huge difference for me. I just was like, I don't know where this is going to go, but I just love it. I love learning. I love these coaches and my body feels really good. It took about six weeks and it just, I started feeling really efficient. Like I could run up hills better. Like it was Awesome. So I was like, okay, I want this to be part of my life. And um, I want to stay healthy. And I had signed up. It was, oh, I think it was January. (laughs) I was not healthy at the time, but my husband signed up for CIM. And I was like, that sounds like a good marathon. Signed me up. And I signed up. And then I this is 2017. Okay. So I also kind of got a bug in my year uh about i was like i think my husband wanted to do boston in 2018 he already had a qualifier from the fall of 2016, and so i was like mm, i wonder if i could just go sneak in a little bq first because CIM would be too too late um to get the bq for the next spring and so i was like I was, I was pretty sure if i could run if i could run 26 miles without getting hurt i knew that i could run the time which was i think 335 at the time so I made that my first marathon goal. I went out and did a marathon in oh, one of my favorite stories, Matt. I went out and did a, uh, I signed up for a marathon in um, outside of Seattle. It was one of the downhill ones, the Snoqualmie, um, um, the trail, I hear what the trail is called, but it's the, the rail trail, the tunnel mm-hmm. one. So um, you run like two miles through an old train tunnel. And then the rest of the thing is a rail trail. It drops like a hundred feet per mile. It's just like, gentle oh downhill it's not as bad as like a rebel race um this is bq eligible so, baby. so it's not
0: so it's not just a complete quad thrashing
1: right i mean it's a quad but it's not as bad as you saw. right i mean and obviously it's a downhill marathon like yeah
0: like, the, the rebel the revel races scare me i look at those i'm like i don't know man i don't know if i could do that
1: <laughs> yeah I mean, this one this one only dropped 2500 feet so you know um that's a little cheating, but you know, I didn't have vapor flies at the time. So, okay. Um, we went, um, I went out and did that marathon and I trained for it during the summer in Austin, which is a terrible time of year to train for a marathon, but I was just trying to complete it. I, I was pretty sure I could get it. You know, I think it was eight minute pace. So I was like, I'll be okay. Um, but the thing that was so unique about it for me was I kept it a secret and I was used to sharing training and posting things on Instagram, but I, I thought to myself, I want this. First of all, I didn't want to worry about like failing, but second of all, I wanted it to be, it was kind of a, just a little pilot light that I had burning inside of me. And I just thought it would be um, really special to have it be something I told a few close friends, but I didn't like broadcast it out. I did not tell any of my training friends at rogue. Like I just, is kind of, I just like wanted it to be something for me that would be, um, I wanted to not have too much pressure And it also was like a little crazy. Like I'm like, who goes and runs a surprise marathon? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So sometimes I'd be like training, like I'd be like running my 14 miler in like the heat in Austin. And I'd be like, like a day where I slept in too long and I was like running by myself and it was hot and stuff. And I would be like, Comp- like literally i'd be like composing the instagram post in my head i was like i can't wait to make this post after i run this marathon <laughs> so it worked <laughs> um i did some my husband helped me come up with a training schedule so we just like mapped out long runs and then i went to a running group that was like a free um run crew called raw running and they did a quality workout once a week and they were probably like 5k workouts like they were like short fast stuff but i knew that it, it, i just needed a little bit i, I knew it didn't matter kind of what stimulus i was going for So I went um, and was able to stay healthy. My husband came out. He paced me. It was 49 degrees at the starting line. We were just like in heaven. Um, So we ran down a mountain and we ran 308 together. And uh, that was my first marathon.
0: Oh, how fun.
1: Yeah. After that, I connected with my coach, Chris McClung. Um, He had never, I hadn't worked with him before as a coach, but I knew him just from, um, I had worked at Rogue uh, as an employee and he was one of the owners there. So a shoe store, I had worked there. So I was asking him about training for the CIM in the fall and then Boston the next spring. And then eventually, yeah, trying to get a trials qualifier. And he was really, really excited for me and invited me out to his group. And um, I went out and started running with his group that fall.
0: Got it. And you're making that transition. You're, you know, you picked up that first marathon and then at this point, As you made it sound like you're all in on the marathon, right? It's complete conversion from from your track days and and you're going through that. So going through that, you know, the year leading into CIM 2018, um, where so many people are like so hyped up about getting the otq right it was like everything we were, we were talking about it on this podcast like every week that year like yeah, it was it yeah. was really a galvanizing force within the running community not only for people like yourself who were you know decorated college athletes but runners of all stripes who were like trying to set big had big dreams and were really going after them hard so what was it like going into cim 2018 with this huge goal and despite having again the decorated crew you had at Baylor it not like you were like knocking on the door of like hey I got 247 I just have to cut two minutes off like you had you had some work to do going into CIM
1: yeah yeah so that first year I did CIM was 2017 so going the year before I was able to lower my time from 308 to 254 so that was a good uh, good sign I was like pretty sure that I could get down to 245 I just didn't know if I would be able to do it at CIM in 2018, or if I would need to train another cycle, (laughs) Uh, knowing that the marathon is never a done deal, um, until you cross the finish line. So, um, uh, I think I was pretty open-minded. I knew that I had another year to try to go and get the time if I didn't get it at CIM that fall. So I wasn't too worried about it. I was just like, okay, like, let's see what we can do. Um, I do think also having vapor flies helped. That was the first year they were like out for regular people. So it was 2018. So like, got my super shoes and like, um, I was fitter the first year I had done CIM. Like I would call CIM the first year. That was like my first marathon that I really trained for. Like the, the, the boss, the downhill race was kind of like, you know, just like, don't get hurt. And I was able to do that. But CIM, I actually like did some 20 milers and, um, did some more marathon specific work. Um, but then the next year was uh, more just more intense and then also was more consistent. So like I had only just kind of started running probably in like March after a break um, in probably like March 2017 um, up through CIM being in December. But then I had like a whole other year of training before CIM in 2018.
0: And this makes a huge difference when you can like go into that marathon training cycle already like fit from marathon training. Like you just feel like you're like, like five steps ahead.
1: Yeah. I don't know what, what I was like doing in 2018. I was like, I did a lot. Like I did Boston in the spring and then, um, which kind of that whole cycle was like great. Cause that was four months after CIM, which was four months after the first marathon. So I was like starting to get a little nervous there, but, um, Boston was the really cold, wet year. I actually had like a pretty good race. Like I ran, um, two I was like, pretty happy with that um it didn't feel good but i was like eh, breaking three on it, like a very hard day like i'll take that
0: yeah i mean if you just had, so, to so many people in that time range it was like add 10 to 15 minutes to your time like your goal time and like that would have been like a pretty good race you remember like was sarah sellers was like the the star that year of like yeah, the elite group? At think she was like 244 or something yeah I like so. something yeah, like, she was like and, second yeah
1: yeah i think des <laughs> ran like 240 or something yeah exactly <laughs> yeah Yeah. So, um, I got, um, but after that Boston race, I I did like, um, I did a bike ride, like 10 days later, I did like a two day, 150 mile bike ride. Like it wasn't a race, but it was, I mean, like that's pretty hard. (laughs) You're like basically on the bike all day for two days in a row. And then like 10 days after that, I like flew back out to Boston and we did a Ragnar. (laughs) Now I'm just like, well, like I would never be able to do like those things so close together this is like around work and stuff. I think I was just doing like three weekends. Like I was just like trying to, you know, take like Friday off and go out and do this stuff. Like, I don't know how At Ragnar, I must've done a four day weekend because I think Ragnar starts on Friday, but you know, well, just...
0: Ragnar is like a vacation where it's like one of those, you need a vacation from your vacation.
1: Right. Cause you don't sleep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we ran fast too. We ran like, I don't know. We tried to, I think we got like second overall, like who does it was all women. So it's pretty cool. Um, I think after that I took a little downtime Um, but then in june we started training for cim and through the summer in austin it's pretty hot so we didn't we didn't go crazy um we didn't try to do any fast i mean we did try to run faster but it wouldn't it wouldn't be the actual race pace you know for until the weather cooled off so it wasn't until like mid-october i think we finally did like a workout in good weather that was marathon specific it was like 10 miles at race pace and then Marathon race pace and then like a break and then like five miles, five mile repeats at ten K pace. And it was like that workout when I was like, Okay, I think I can run two forty five.
0: <laughs> there you go. So you knock it down, you end up you end up getting it, See, I am how did and this was something that those is so varied for so many people. Um, so I always want to make sure I ask, How did you approach um you know, the Olympic trials qualifying in the marathon, you know, because so many people approached it for different reasons. Like obviously you probably were aware that the chance of making the the Olympic team wasn't really going to be on your plate. So do you, do you approach it as like, Hey, this is still my a race or was it just kind of like an event to do amongst a series of other events?
1: Yeah. So I wanted the trials, you know, I talked about racing locally and uh, maybe making the podium, but not necessarily being able to race head to head. And I was like, this is my chance. I was so excited for that because I thought that I would finally be able to like see where I stacked up and right. I I didn't have a goal. I think maybe, you know, like top half or something sounded good to me, but I didn't have a goal for like anything higher than that. I wasn't even trying to, you know, at one point I was like, oh, it'd be really cool if I could be like the top Wazelle athlete, Uh, but there was uh, some really fantastic Boiselle athletes out there and uh, I ended up not having a good day and I got last of all the Boiselle people (laughs) so (laughs) you know um that's not what I was training for I was very disappointed in that outcome overall and the whole trials thing but I definitely was not trying I was not like just happy to be there like I really wanted to compete and that's that's not what I what ended up happening I had a bad race out at trials but then it was COVID and it all faded into oblivion (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. And then shortly thereafter, right? That's when that's when you probably found out that you were pregnant.
1: Yes. Yeah. There was a little bit of like, fuck it. Let's just have a baby. And then it was like, we actually got pregnant like the second month that I started trying. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that worked. Um, so I was trying to get pregnant, but maybe not quite that fast. So I was like, let's see how it goes. And then that's how it went
0: there you go see like like, it's always funny how things work out whereas as as opposed to like alephine who's like we need to if we're not getting pregnant this month we can't get pregnant because we have the we have the the olympics coming up
1: right 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 it was nice i did not have any other running goals hanging on especially i think it had maybe just started to be covid and i obviously had no idea how long that was going to last but i could kind of see i was like "Uh, it might be a little while um there wasn't anything short term that i was really really excited about i was like "Mm." if anything i wanted to kind of drop back down go back to the track try to run some more 5ks and 10ks just because it sounded fun to me and marathon training had been um taxing of course uh and so i was like you know i have some untapped potential here so that's what i wanted to do but i also wanted to have a have a kid and i finally felt like uh it was it was something i had been thinking about doing for a while but had wanted to get through the trials and i had been thinking about trials since early 2017 And so I had kind of always known that I wasn't going to start until later. And so I was like, I think this might be a good time. And I didn't know my sister had infertility for like five years. I didn't know how long it was going to take me. And I was 31 when I started trying. So I was like, well, might just need to get on it.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Cause sometimes we go, so many people go into this with like high, not high expectations, but you feel like you can map things out that you have more control than you actually have. But considering your family experience, obviously you were probably more finely attuned to like the, 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 lack of control we all have in, in this, in this endeavor.
1: Yeah. 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 I never had a reason to expect that I wouldn't have, um, I had like regular periods. I, I thought I was going to be okay, but I feel like you never know. Um, so I was just kind of like, I'll
0: try. We were the same way. We were like, as I think, I think the first time we, I think both times we we're like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna try again. I think, I think just I think in the course of that conversation, my wife got pregnant both times. I don't even think there was, you know, I think just by talking about being pregnant, my wife got pregnant. <laughs> <So> like both <laughs> times it was like that next cycle was like, oh no, she's pregnant now. All right, well all <laughs> at that right, point we're well. like, we, we really have to be careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to, to yeah. But um, that was completely far afield of what our conversation was. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> diving back I, I into I you. Say,
1: I gotta say, when when I showed my husband the the positive pregnancy test, the first words out of his mouth were, good thing we use birth control all those other times. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, exactly. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. So we, we were very fortunate to have the outcome that we wanted um, for, for getting pregnant. All
0: right. So, Going into the pregnancy experience and, and and all of that and childbirth, obviously, there's only, like we mentioned, there's only so much you can control. And yet, at the same time, we all can learn from the experiences of others, the people that are around us, and just the people that we've gotten to know over time. So just in regards to your own running and planning, like, okay, this is how I'm going to approach it you know, either, you know, during the pregnancy and then post-pregnancy, you know, this is how I would, you know, either ideally like to approach it or here's the range of the way I would like to approach it. How were, how were you going through that situation and in that in that kind of like forecasting process?
1: Yeah. So pregnancy, I had low expectations because I had heard some women just like couldn't run at all. So I was like, well, let's just see how things go. And I'll, I'll run as long as I can. Hopefully it continues to be a part of my life that I get to enjoy. And so, I was in pretty good shape going, uh, running shape going in. Um, I came off trials. I um, recovered, didn't have any injuries. And I was training with my one friend because it was COVID and we were, you know, we weren't doing training groups or anything, but I had one friend uh, who had run the trials with me and she was like, okay, I'm dying. I need some company. So me and Sarah started running together and um, a few, probably weeks after that is when I got pregnant. And so I felt it very quickly, um, the effect. I just was like, it was way harder to run fast. And so after like two weeks probably of getting dropped by Sarah, I was like, ah, I got to tell her. And she had a small, she has a young son as well, who was only like six months old at the time when she ran the trials. Amazing um, accomplishment for her. She was like dragging me <laughs> through the race. Um, so I had, to, I was like, I got to tell her. Otherwise she'll think I'm slow. So I told her and she was really excited for me, of course. And so um, we kept running together and I would just like, do less of her workout or just not do the workout. We did some long runs. Like I did like a 17 mile long run, like in my first trimester, just like, I'm so proud. The best thing that I did is I did this trials of miles virtual race series where it was like the bracket where you're like face to heading yes. head to head, facing off head to head. I'm wearing my
0: trials of miles t-shirt under this sweater right now. Oh
1: my right gosh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was one of his like really early ones that he put on um, where you could be matched up like anywhere. It was like one of the very first ones before they made rules about like how downhill you could do it. Cause people were just like finding really downhill races. So like I made it through like the 10 K and the five K rounds, like my competition wasn't too, too hard. And then I got to the mile round and the woman that um, I was faced against was one of my college teammates. And so like, she was in Houston. It was pretty hot, hot weather by this point. It was the summer. She actually went and like ran, I think um, like 458 or something. And oh, I was boy. like, Oh crap. Oh, boy. Was like 11, she was or, 11 or 12 weeks pregnant <laughs> but we went to a hill and i ran down it and i ran 456 i was like oh my god i cannot believe i just did that and i posted about it you know but i hadn't told everybody that i was pregnant yet so i was like the world will never know what a great accomplishment this was <laughs> so i was very proud of that i'm that's how i know i'm talented i'm very talented so i know a lot of runners this is my pet peeve is when runners are like i'm not pro pro freaking runners will say this and i guess they believe it to be true but i think it's bullshit they'll be like i'm not very talented i just work really hard other people are more talented bullshit if you're a pro runner you're very talented i'm not even a pro runner <laughs> i'm talented so anyway um, thank you
0: for saying that because it's true and also they're yeah. not mutually exclusive can we just say that you can be barely Absolutely. talented and Absolutely. work your tail off
1: Absolutely. Very talented. Everybody works hard. Everybody's talented. I think there's some luck that comes into play and there's strategy, you know, but, um, so I was able to run, do some pretty hard stuff. I think halfway through the pregnancy, started having some back pain and that was probably just from like running a downhill mile hard. (laughs) Um, took some time off, was able to get back into it, run walking. And then I think by end of second trimester, I started having like pelvic pain. I'm still not sure if it was like muscular, kind of felt like I had to pee really bad, but it was like painful. I just was like, okay, I'm worried. This is why people get hurt. Like people get injuries during pregnancy and birth. Like I'm not going to do that to myself. (laughs) End of the second trimester was my last run. And from there I became a walk. Um, so that got me through to the due date. Um, I wish that I had kept lifting weights, but my gym wasn't open. And so I did a little bit of virtual with them. I had like an adjustable kettlebell, but I was just like getting really demotivated. It was just like i was like i'm tired of this i'm not going to do stuff that i'm bored by i just mm. so at the end i was pretty much just walking and doing a little bit of yoga
0: right all right that makes sense i mean hey that's that's still quite a lot of running during your pregnancy like you obviously were, were doing some serious stuff which is which i mean and I'm, I'm not judging this positively or negatively right you people do what they can do Right, it's just right. Um, right. So you just kind of go through it. The, that whole downhill mile thing is a great story, though. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I, I love the fact I that, that I love the fact that <laughs> you were like, I'm not even get the credit I deserve for this.
1: I know. I think I like try to like you know throw back to it on
0: Instagram or something later. But
1: yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was good. I yeah.
0: <laughs> so you you mentioned your friend Sarah, right? So she runs the trials six months after giving birth. You know, which is, like you mentioned, an, an enormous accomplishment. There are stories all over the place. People who, no matter their fitness level, who come back after, you know, 10, 12, 14 weeks and then, you know, not immediately, but, you know, at a certain point, they're kind of like back to something that resembles their normal running life. Right. Shortly, not, shortly thereafter, is, you know, we're putting that in quotes. I mean, during at that moment, it feels like forever. Anyone who has a newborn knows that like a day feels like a year and during that experience. <laughs> yeah. But When you look back on it, you're like, all right. Like it wasn't that long before I was back to back to myself. So what was kind of your expectation in terms of, you know, the goals that you had and trying to get back to them and and just kind of, you know, while also having, you know, growing family, we're still going to have the kind of running life that you'd had that you enjoyed before that.
1: Well, I got to say, Matt, if you say, you know, it wasn't that long before I returned to myself, that, that sounds like something a man might say. Um, this is why
0: I was trying to do like the quotes thing, but it doesn't work for an audio podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but no,
0: you, you, you bring up a good point. Yeah, I was trying I was trying to set up a dichotomy, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm very jealous of the men. <laughs> um, I will say men, um, men, men uh, I, I don't need to go off on that. I'll, I'll say, um, very jealous. Uh, there's a lot of supportive dads and fathers out there, but dads, um, dads and husbands, but, um, it's just not the same. So yeah, my expectation, you know, of course, having not a concrete idea, I knew that what Sarah had done was, was exceptional. Um, but I, so I didn't think I would be back to normal within six months. Um, but I thought that, um, I knew that I wanted to be patient. So kind of a newer an older guideline would be wait six weeks to start running again. A newer guideline. I don't know the professional organizations, but my pelvic floor therapist told me 12 weeks before you start running. So grand scheme of things, I was like six more weeks, not going to kill me. So I did that. Um, and I worked with these um, therapists. I went, I think, only like five sessions, but really, really cool. Um, I learned a lot about like my pelvic floor muscles um, and how they can be connected to breath and just like they helped kind of learn how to like turn the core back on because like how to like activate the muscles again because that's just something when you're pregnant and your your muscles are like separated your belly is just you're not using your abs like the same way so they helped me kind of get back to movement i also did a postpartum fitness class that was taught by my doula um at her gym she was a also a crossfit coach but it wasn't it wasn't crossfit it was just kind of like let's pick up a weight again and see if we can do this safely So, um, I did a few weeks of that. And from there, I, I did like a return to run, like run walking, pretty progressive program, um, from weeks 12 to 16 postpartum. And from there I was running like three miles at a time. I was like, okay, I know what this is like. This is like recovering from an injury. I wasn't having any like pelvic floor symptoms. I wasn't having any pain that seemed related to delivery, childbirth, um, or anything. I had a C-section delivery. um, But like, I think after two, three weeks, like my Achilles got hurt. And then a few weeks after that, like my, I went to like a, I went to a different PT, did some rehab exercises. Then my other Achilles got hurt. And then like, I can't even tell you like everything. It's like, there's like, there was some heel pain. There was like some back pain. Most recently I had some calf pain. It's just like, it's like the worst string of just like, I'm like, haven't even been doing, I haven't run over 15 miles a week in a year. Um, I have not run more than other than like a random, I did do like a 10 mile race, which I don't even know how I finished that. Um, other than that, I haven't gone over like six miles in a training run. I'm just like, uh, I'm very, very inconsistent. Um, so I guess my expectation was like, after I was like healthy at the end of that 12 week period that, and I built back to running, I thought that I would go back up to like Whatever I could do, like, I don't know, like 30 miles a week is usually like kind of a, like, that's like not very hard for me to do. I can do that running like four or five miles during a week and maybe like an eight mile long run or something, whatever the math is. And then from there, I was like, maybe I'll go back to my old coach or maybe I go to a new coach. I didn't really know, but I just was never able to get the consistency to where I was like, you know, doing workouts never seemed like a good idea because I couldn't even do easy runs without getting
0: hurt. Right. No, and I appreciate you, you, you mentioning that timeline and, and giving me a little grace and how I tried to set it up because I know that you you've you have done a great job expressing over the past year like you like the optimism that you want to like, all right, I want this is gonna ha- you know, this is gonna happen and so on and so forth. And, and and you know, just trying to be a positive person, but at the same time, you know, inventing frustrations of just the situation of like, hey, this hasn't come around the way I want it to come around and this isn't you know, I don't want to be running 15 miles a week, you know, then this injury after injury after injury. So what's that like, just in terms of the, the mental and emotional strain of like these constant stops and starts at the same time, not it's like with the, with the other added element of like you knowing other people who have gone through this experience and haven't had quite the same difficulties that maybe you have had and kind of balancing that all together.
1: Yeah, oh, I don't know where to start. Um, I think one of the things you had said with this question that you asked before this, though, that I I did want to hit on finally is you said something about going back to normal, something that really like rounding the corner, turning into like queen turning my daughter turning one, um, and being like, wow, I'm still here. Kind of asking around with some other moms, you know, when did it get back to normal for you? Some people have said that stopping breastfeeding helped them feel more energetic, um, which I am still breastfeeding. Some people said that. They felt better after like a year. Some people said a year and a half. Some people said postpartum is forever. Like I even had, like I, I went from breastfeeding six times a day to four times a day. I was like, all right, baby, like you're eating a lot of food. I think, I think we'll be okay. I'm not cutting you off entirely. Um, I enjoy breastfeeding. I'm happy to pass on my vaccine antibodies and stuff like that. Um, when I made that change, my hormones like took a little, I don't know, dip, rise, whatever it was. I had some kind of intense symptoms. Like I had um, trouble sleeping. I had like um, some other symptoms I won't mention. And then I had um, very uh, intense for me mood swings. Like that lasted like a week or two where I was just like, oh, why am I? It was like right before Christmas. I was like, why am I so depressed right now? What's going on? Relationship stress. Like it was just like, "Ah." Oh. And that was from the change in breastfeeding. And so when I was like, oh my God, this is like not going to end. Like I'm going to have to hit this again when I wean her further. Like <laughs> It's just like, So I think that, um, the people who have managed to come back to running, it is not exactly, I don't think it's exactly like you're not the same. Maybe at some point you get to be the same again, but I think that, um, Instagram, of course, this is my, this is a big source of how I learn about what other women are doing. And I love how much people share on there. There's a caption limit of about 2,100 characters. I know this because I frequently max it out and have to go back and edit my (laughs) posts, um, in like a separate editor, um, it's about 400 words. You can't convey a ton of information in those stories. And so people who are managing to make it work, um, its I'm sure it's never as easy as what it might look like. And they're sharing their successes because it makes them very happy. These are things that are fun to share on Instagram. I never fault anybody for doing that. I never fault anybody for hiding something that they don't want to share because you have parts of your life you need to keep private for yourself. That's fine. But Um, that being my main source of information about the motherhood and postpartum period was like women who were able to run 60 mile weeks. I was like, there's probably a lot more stories out there that I'm either just not hearing or they're not being shared or maybe people are sharing and I just haven't sought them out for whatever reason. So that's why that emboldened me to like share what I was going through
0: and i really appreciate it as you know obviously you know i'm coming at it from a different angle i've never i've never gone through childbirth but i did appreciate hearing someone's perspective who maybe i wasn't hearing that sort of thing nearly as often and i'm it's the same thing goes for this show. We haven't covered that. We've covered the opposite of people coming back and, you know, I wouldn't want to, I've never had someone on the show that I thought was doing something maybe a little extreme or something that was maybe not a great model for someone. Um, but ultimately, like, I haven't had this conversation before on this show, which was one of the main reasons I was excited to have you on was to share something like this, because I know this is, this is the norm. For yeah. for right for for the vast majority of people, right to 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 use the word that I used earlier and to put it in the proper context, like this is the norm and this can be something that um, needs to be shared more often because pe- people shouldn't feel like hey this isn't going well because I can't do what X Y Z did um, or even just even to say but to think it or to have those those down moments um, and, and just going from it. So when you see, um. And I'm not, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but when you see like, all right, the past two weeks has been really, you know, past month or so, it's been really fun to have someone like Sarah Vaughan and Kira D'Amato doing objectively unbelievable accomplishments sarah,
1: sarah hall well sarah vaughn also is very good but yeah because with her debut but sarah hall with her uh her, oh, sarah, her yeah, sarah,
0: yeah i was thinking sarah vaughn because of the debut going from like i'm going from the track to the marathon and like yes, hey it's right, right, right. yeah. one of the top five debuts of all time right mm-hmm, and like doing mm-hmm. it, you know and then obviously we're all uh, familiar with what kira damato did last week um with 219 you see someone like that who've had you've gone through you know, who've gone through childbirth who are also in their mid to late thirties at that point when they've experienced this, when you see those performances, do you, are they, is that like a positive thing for you? Is it, does it put you down in the dumps? Do you get like a wide range of emotions? Like how, how does that, how have you digested those accomplishments?
1: Yeah, um, unfortunately the, where I'm at currently, it's just kind of those headlines, that like, and she's a mom. Like, I'm like, it makes me feel bad. Um, I think we all know comparison is the thief of joy. So like, don't come for me. I know that it's bad to compare. Um, it does put it in perspective for me as their children are a fair. Well, I think Sarah Vaughn has a pretty young child. Still. <laughs> um, I, she, I don't think her kid was born that long ago. I mean, they might, I don't know how old they are. They're, they're older than my daughter, but, um, it puts it in perspective though. They're, you know, I know that people's kids are older. Um, and I, can understand in in my mind even if not in my heart that that would make a difference um it takes time to improve it running whether or not you have a kid um but yeah i mean i'd say initially there's there's some like pain of just like i'm like it's not like i thought i would be like breaking obviously not breaking the american record like never in my never i would think that but like to be like i'm not even I had to drop out of my half marathon this weekend. Like I was going to try to run, like I was doing like a little race series in Austin where you do like six, five or six races. And I couldn't even like complete the series, you know, that, that it does hurt. I'm just, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I know that I've been, I haven't been the most careful. I'll say like, I'm not like, like I did all my PT and stuff the first few months, of postpartum. But after that, like I'll go and I'll do a couple of Achilles rehabs for like two weeks. And then I'll be like, ah, yeah, it's better. And then I'll like stop doing it. And so, yeah, I haven't been like lockstep, perfect. Um, usually, I'm able to like get away with a little bit more than what I've been able to get away with. And so that's why I'm like pissed off because I'm like I can't even like jog right now. Like I can every run I go out the door. I don't know if I'm gonna have to walk home or not.
0: Yeah, because I I can go. And obviously, we're we're not we're not the same. So I'm not gonna make it sound like we are. But I know that I've had like a um a similar kind of experience when I when I. Look at these. Like Kira's a friend of mine, so like I got to know Servant a little bit when I was at CIM. We got to interview her as part of the live show and stuff, which was which was really fun. And she's she's lovely, but it's like I, I have the same feeling. If like I'll like I'll look at it one moment, I'll be like, "Hey, look what they're doing. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> look, mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. look at where they are. Look where you are. Like what's going on here?" Right. And then the other then the then the other side of me will be like, "Wow, but look what look what they were able to do. Like look, maybe you can do something. Like maybe not the same thing, but maybe you could do." something really cool in your own right. Like and not not to compare it, but like to take the inspiration from it. And like I feel like I'm vacillating back and forth all the time or somewhere within that range. So while I'm obviously always excited for all of them and like, hey, the more awesome performances the better. It's funny, it's like depends on my mood, how like I take it and like lay it over my own life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There are times when I see runners, you know, women can run. American women can run 219 in the marathon. And my personal record is 243. I'm like, that's over like a minute per mile faster than me. Right. Like, and maybe it's not by 15 pace. No, it's about, yeah, it's about a minute per mile faster than me. Um, just knowing that that's like possible for a human is like pretty cool. I think about that sometimes like, like people's abilities, you know, it's like the Kipchoge, no human is limited, you know, like it is, it is amazing to think of what people's bodies can do. And like, I'm a pretty good runner, but like these people are just on a completely different level that, that it does inspire me. Um I'm like watching the Olympics and you watch people do all these different sports and you're just like, how does the body, how does the body high jump? How does the body turn And all the figure skating, just like gymnastics, just like it is, it is amazing. So there's an element of that, but there's a little bit hitting close to home right now. Um It's something I talked about in therapy. My therapist was like, you know, are you comparing yourself to, to somebody who's even a real person? Or is it just this idea in your mind of everybody who's doing better than you? And so I was like, well, and I (laughs) thought of one person and, um, you know, she asked me like, what is this person? What's she like? And I said, she's upbeat, she's determined. And she has a lot of support. She has two small children, this person I'm thinking of. And for me, I was like, you know what? That took away a little bit of the jealousy for me because I do have a pretty good amount of support. Um, I would say my schedule of having a job is probably the main thing that inhibits me from doing more PT and more exercise, cross-training, everything. It's not really the baby requirement because I have really good child care. Um, but I think what it was is I realized I'm really well supported. I feel like I shouldn't complain. If I did want to like pursue more athletic goals, I would need more support. I feel like I don't deserve that. And to feel like you don't deserve something good. I don't know if I deserve it or not. You know, that might be a conversation to have with my husband, like about, do we want to like pay for more nanny hours or something like that? Or, you know, does he mind doing more childcare hours? I don't know. Like, just like realizing that it's not necessarily like jealous of people's abilities or jealous of their success, but feeling like, feeling like I was too small to ask for what I wanted or something. I was like, "Hmm, okay, that's a different feeling. So that was nice to realize.
0: Yeah, and those are, those are obviously tough conversations uh, to have. And and also, you know, times change, right? I mean, it's like that as, as the kids get older, they also go into situations where they're less dependent on you throughout the day, right? And it does, it does free up the time and make things easier and, and so on and so forth. And that's one of the things that, that I've been able to learn is that, like, you know, my kids are six and nine, and it's a lot different. Than it was, you know, unless they in preschool and they're doing all that stuff and things take, they they take a different turn. And then, then shoot, you look at like, like, like Sarah Pond's like, her her debut marathon was like, still she ran her, you know, was, was whatever. But at the same time, it's like, you ran a 243 at two years of training. Right. Like that's, that's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, you know, a lot of people would look at that and be like, that's insane. She did what? Of two years of marathon training? Like before that, she was injured a lot. Right, right.
1: Yeah. And I will say the Kira D'Amato storyline, especially, is a good one. Um, Because she did. She was really competitive. I feel like nobody talks about how she was really good in college. Like, she was like sixth at NCAA's when you're in cross country Right. Like, so, know. when
0: people call Molly Seidel, like, oh, she's, you mean the barista? You're like, yeah. no, I mean the one who won Foot Locker. That's the one yeah, that I'm talking like, about. Yeah, and like
1: won nationals multiple times in college. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> She took a long break and she came back to training when she. Felt ready? I don't know. I don't really know a ton about her story, but she—I uh, know she took a long break, and then she kind of just like ran for fun, like this is 3 hour over marathons, like kind of how I started out. So it's nice to see. I think um, when I was like probably six months postpartum, I called the Wazell team manager, and I was like, "Hey, uh, Sarah go I was like, "Hey, I am—I am not feeling good. I feel—I feel slow. I keep getting hurt. This is really hard. I don't know what's going on." Um, she brought up here as a motto and she was like, you know, people, people take breaks and like, if that's what you need to do, then. Roberta Groner
0: was the same way. Yeah, Roberta Groner mm-hmm. ran at St. Mm-hmm. Peter's and took a wicked long break and then had like an unbelievable career.
1: Yeah. So that's helped me be a lot more relaxed about it. And um, especially like, I know I want to have another kid. I'm um, just like, I know that I'm going to go through the whole D training process again. I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, Oh, let's just like run through it and get it over with. And then trying to get fit again after so I did have a really like scary thought a couple weeks ago. I was like, Oh, I had been running a lot going into my first pregnancy. I was like, what if I got pregnant again? And I was like out of shape from like not running. Like I'm like not in the same shape that I was before. And I was like, Oh man, what if pregnancy was like harder because of that? Cause they always say you need to be like fit through it from pregnancy. But I don't know. I just gotta, I talked to a coach yesterday, a new coach in Austin. Um, I, hopefully we can work together if I can get my act together. And she was like, "Yeah, why don't we train for, for like healthy pregnancy if that's your goal?" And
0: I was like, "Yeah, that sounds good." There you go. See, well, the the the, the goals could be different, right? The, I know all goals mm-hmm. have to be time goals. Uh-huh. Yeah,
1: yeah. I thought I was lowering them. I thought I, I thought I was lowering the bar enough, but I was not. And that's something. It's been a hard pill to swallow, but like, it is what it is. I'm here, and um, in the past being injured for a long time would have sent me into like the throes of depression. And now I finally feel like I've broken through to the other side, where like, if I'm not running, I'm okay. And I still love it. I want to, I want to do it. But like, if I'm not doing it, like I'm still here and I'm still whole. And this is, I've never been able to say that until this year.
0: Well, congratulations on that. That's, that's That's a huge thing. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. My therapist is happy. (laughs) (laughs)
0: There you go. Um, So, all right, well, we got to get going. So last question before we do, though, is like we mentioned, like this is what you're going through is 100 percent normal. A lot of people go through it or go through something similar to this. So say someone is going through something like this. They want to get back to running or whatever activity that they're really interested in doing, but they just can't get quite to it the way they had before. And they're struggling with it. Not just physically because they want to do that physical thing, but mentally and emotionally as well because those are e- those are equally tied into those experiences. What are some of the things you would say to that individual?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. So I think first, just I see you. It's, it's really difficult, and yeah, we're we're in it. Um, you're not alone. There, I would say to try to reach out for support. Um, talk about talk about your challenges, whether that's online or whether that's with people that you trust. Um, especially I think other women who have gone through that. So um, usually they have some good advice, you know, Everybody, the consistent advice is, Hey, it gets better. And I, I believe that's true. It has gotten better. I'm um, starting to get more sleep, starting to feel better on that front. So um, I think of course, also, it's just nothing is as simple as it looks on social media. I think that people who are able to keep running, they either, you know, have a lot of really good support and that enables them to do that, or maybe they're training through pain, if that's what they want to do, that's up to them. Um, that's not something that I wanted to do. So, um, uh, just, yeah, I mean, you never know what, what else is going on in someone else's life. Um, even if they had have that going for them, they might have other really big challenges that aren't things that you deal with. So it's, that helps me to think about, um, and, uh, pelvic floor PT, if you haven't done that, um, if you feel like you're having symptoms that are related to the childbirth recovery, that's really, really helpful for learning about, um, just how your body, uh, for me, it was like how your body is just like stressed through the carrying the baby. And then it's not just the delivery. Like I had the C-section delivery, but it's just the process of like growing it and holding it kind of for that whole time. <laughs> um, that's really helpful. So reach out for help, reach out for support. Um, that, that means therapy. That means pelvic floor PT. That means maybe your chiropractor, like your old running friends might be a, good source of support um or maybe your new mom friends might be a good source um so hang in there
0: hang in there thank you so much for sharing all of this you're one of my favorite people to follow online for the all the same reasons that you displayed in this conversation the candor the honesty you're you're so freaking smart um all these things um can coalesce uh and also not just what you say in this podcast, but you know, so often times and um, your social media posts, so someone does want to follow you. Where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so everything goes up on Instagram, and Instagram alone, and the handle is being Kate. So it's B E I N G Kate, and that's Kate with a C, so C
0: A T E. There it is, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Such a pleasure. Also, shout out to the Eugene Marathon. I've had so many people in the last two weeks send me DMs telling me that they're really excited to head to Eugene. And that makes me pumped up because I'm excited to see all you guys who are going to be heading down there. If you haven't made your marathon plans yet, I'd consider Eugene. I really would. I mean, this is, again, like I said in the intro, you know, on that day, there's a marathon a couple miles from my house on roads and bike paths that I've been running my whole life. And I'm not running that marathon. I'm running the one in Eugene. I'm literally flying as far across the country (laughs) as I possibly can to run a marathon because I am so excited about this experience. And I think if you sign up, you will be too. So head over to eugenemarathon.com today and register. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Metap for the music. His song "Righteous Path," featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Disrepresentation of storm brewing i amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change I'm
1: trying to show this industry